the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And what is pride? What are we talking about when we refer to pride? In its essence, pride is that wicked attitude of heart that contends with God for supremacy. Do you get that? That's what pride is. When you strip it all away, and it's at the root of every sin, it is that wicked attitude of heart that contends with God for supremacy. Nobody will be supreme over me. I rule. My way is the only way. No one else, not even God. That is our nature by birth, but the true Christ follower has an attitude much more like one Hudson Taylor displayed. He was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. The moderator of the service introduced the missionary in eloquent and glowing terms. He told the large congregation all that Taylor had accomplished in China and then presented him as our illustrious guest. Taylor stood quietly for a moment and then opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. We see that spirit in genuine shepherds, but we see quite a different one in all too many so-called Christian leaders. We will be considering those attitudes today on Verse by Verse. Thank you for tuning in. Pastor Steve Kreloff is taking us a verse at a time through the Sermon on the Mount. For over 27 years, Pastor Steve has been teaching the Word of God at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And now his clear, expository, or verse-by-verse messages come to you through Verse-by-Verse Ministries. Our text is Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. We are surrounded by dangerous people. I don't mean crooks or robbers, but those whom Satan is using to try to steer people away from the only way to eternal life. Jesus called them wolves in sheep's clothing. Why are they so dangerous? Well, let's open our Bibles and continue the message Pastor Steve began in our last class. First of all, they're dangerous because they're disguised and they want to destroy you. Secondly, he tells us they can be detected. And he tells us this in verse, verses 16 through 18. You'll know them, he said, and that word know means to recognize them. You can recognize them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So after first comparing false prophets to savage wolves, the Lord now compares these pseudo-Bible teachers to trees, and for good reason. Though a wolf can disguise himself as a shepherd and fool some people, it is absolutely impossible for a tree to hide its identity forever. He can't hide it for long. Eventually, the fruit coming from a tree will reveal its true nature and its true essence. This is the reason that Jesus said it was impossible for a good tree to produce bad fruit, just as it's impossible for a bad tree to produce good 
fruit. And, and the primary point, folks, that he was making here is that trees are always recognized by their fruit. So false teachers are always recognized by their fruit, the things that they produce in their lives. And this is where we, we stopped last week. But I just want you to know that this is the main point to these verses. In fact, Jesus emphasized this by beginning this section in verse 16, saying, you'll know them by their fruits. And then he closed this section in verse 20. So then you'll know them by their fruits. That's the point. How can you know who's a false teacher and who's not? Now, somebody told me recently that some of the folks are asking, well, why doesn't he mention names? Well, you needed to be here Sunday night for our series in Second Peter. Many names are mentioned. In this series, I, I just want to emphasize these truths that are in the text. You can go back to the Second Peter series and get some names on false teachers. But here, we want to emphasize on how can you detect them? What are the things that you're to look for? What are the principles? There are three kinds of fruit that every teacher produces, whether they're good teachers or bad teachers, whether they're true valid teachers, sound Bible teachers, or false teachers. Good sound teachers will always produce good sound fruit in their lives, and false teachers will always produce fruit that is bad. So what are the specific areas that you and I need to be looking at as we're exposed to various teachers? First of all, there are three, and I would encourage you to write this down. First of all, we are to judge all teachers by the fruit of their lives, their character, their conduct. It was John Calvin who once said, nothing is more difficult to counterfeit than virtue. Absolutely right. There is nothing more difficult to counterfeit than true godly virtue. See, true Christian leaders, like all true Christians, reflect a radical change in the depth of their beings because of God's grace in their lives. They have been changed from natural men that they once were, into those who have received a new divine nature and are constantly being conformed more and more into Christ-like character. They have a new nature, but what takes place is, is what we call progressive sanctification. They are being constantly changed into Christ-like character more and more. But what we need to know is this, and this is a very important question. How does that radical change manifest itself so that we can, we can inspect the fruit of a teacher's life? Well, there are many changes that, that take place. But there is one particular area of an individual's character in which Christians and non-Christians are so different that anyone can spot the difference. I, I don't care if you're a brand new believer. I don't care if you've been saved for 50 years. You can spot a true Christian from a non-Christian by this, this character issue. What is it? True Christians and therefore true and valid Bible teachers are marked by humility, by humility. A humility that reveals itself by seeking to glorify Christ and not themselves. And non-Christians and therefore false teachers who are non-Christians are just the opposite. They are always marked by pride, pride that reveals itself by self-promoting arrogance, self-promoting arrogance. This is why when Jesus began this sermon, he began it with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are simply statements of a Christian's character. There are really no commands in the Beatitudes. Jesus is stating this is the way true believers really are. This is the way a converted individual is. And notice how he opened up in chapter 5, beginning at verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. The converted individual sees himself for what he really is. Spiritually poor. Poor in spirit. It doesn't mean that he's financially poor. It means that he, he sees himself, rightfully so, as spiritually bankrupt. He's a wicked sinner. He realizes that he deserves nothing but God's eternal wrath for being so rebellious towards him. You come into the kingdom, you come low. You come as a poverty-stricken, bankrupt sinner. And he's humbled by the truth of what he's really like. And so that's why Jesus said he mourns, meaning that he mourns over his sin. He's grief-stricken. He makes no excuses about his sin. A true Christian doesn't rationalize away his sin. He doesn't blame others for it. Well, the way she treated me, what else could I do? The way he was, the way my parents were. He blames no one for his sin but himself. He never justifies his sin. He just grieves over the fact that he's a wretched sinner. See, a true Christian and a true teacher of the Christian faith are humbled, not only at their initial experience of salvation, but throughout their lives and into eternity. And even though, yes, we we struggle with pride, that doesn't mean that we don't have any struggle with pride, but but the general direction of our lives and the, and the overwhelming desire of our lives to, to live out our lives with humility, honoring Christ, not exalting ourselves. So it's not just initial salvation, but throughout our lives into eternity because we understand the grace of God. We understand the grace of God. I'd like you to turn to the very familiar verses of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and, and let's look at it Again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and see what Paul is really saying, or at least emphasize something that we often don't emphasize. In the beginning of this chapter, the Apostle Paul has told us our plight, our condition before salvation. We were dead in sins and trespasses. We, we walked that way. We followed Satan, even if we didn't believe in a personal devil. He tells us that we were formerly, we, we lived in the flesh, the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, We're by nature children of wrath. And then he tells us about God who is rich in mercy. God who has saved us. God who has provided salvation for us. And then he he says in verses 8 and 9. For by grace, meaning God's unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Everything that goes along with salvation. (laughs) Salvation itself, eternal life, repentance, faith. It's all a gift. How do do dead people believe unless God gives them them the faith? How do dead people repent? There is no way. It has to be only as a gift, only by God's grace. Notice this, verse 9, not as a result of works. There is nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. And then Paul says, here's the reason why God did it this way. So that no one may boast. No one may boast. Once you understand the meaning of the cross and God's sovereign grace in electing you, regenerating you when you were spiritually dead, drawing you to to himself, granting you repentance and faith and continually persevering with you. We don't persevere with him. He perseveres with us. There is no room for an inflated view of ourselves, is there? That's a a good word for those of us who are believers because sometimes believers can be a bit too arrogant, a bit too know it all. There is no room for an inflated view of self, nor of of any boasting about ourselves. What do we have to boast about? Nothing. 
As one Bible teacher said of this truth, God intentionally designed salvation so that no man can boast of it. He didn't merely arrange it so that boasting would be discouraged or kept to a minimum. He planned it so that boasting would be absolutely excluded. Election does precisely that. And you understand God's sovereignty and what salvation is really about there. There can be no boasting. What are you going to boast about? You and I deserved hell. God, by his mercy and grace, gave us heaven. And not only are our true believers humbled at their initial, as we said, salvation experience, but by seeing their sin, the cross, sovereign, God's sovereign grace, we continue to be humbled by it all as the Lord does a work in us, transforming us into gentle people. That's why, that's why I said, blessed are the gentle. What does that mean? And when we studied this, we were careful to point out that the word meek does not mean weak. Paul is not saying, blessed are the wishy-washy. Blessed are those who have no backbone. Blessed are the timid. No, a, a gentle person essentially means someone who is strong in character, so strong that he serves others by yielding his rights to them. In other words, he doesn't insist on getting his own way anymore. He doesn't insist on promoting himself. He now lives to serve others, to meet their needs. He's a servant. The Bible refers to this attitude of serving others as the fruit of repentance. There's a, there are a number of fruits of repentance, but I want, want you to see something in particular. Luke chapter 3. It's a very interesting passage. It's a, uh, it's a passage in which Luke tells us about the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember, John came preaching the kingdom, announcing that Messiah was coming, and his baptism was to demonstrate, or at least those who were baptized were saying, we have repented of our sin in, in anticipation of Messiah and his kingdom coming. But notice what we're told, John, uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 7. So he began, meaning John, saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now John must have spotted some hypocrites, some Pharisees, who wanted to cash in on this. John was very popular, so they wanted, of course, to be part of the in-crowd of what was happening, the religious activity of Israel. And John spotted them and said, you brood of vipers, you snakes, who warned you from the wrath to come? He said in verse 8, therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. John is saying, if you really have repented, then we'll see the fruit of your repentance. We'll see what it produces in your life. And don't fall back on your ethnic pride by saying, well, we're Jewish. Abraham is our father. John said, that won't do anything for you. God can raise up children from these very stones for Abraham. And then, beginning at verse 10 and following, he begins to tell us, in fact, he does tell us what some of the fruits of repentance are. And it's all about humility. It's all about serving others. Verse 10, the crowds were questioning him saying, then what shall we do? I mean, you, you spoke of the fruit of repentance. How should we live to demonstrate repentance? Notice what John said. He would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics, two robes, two, two coats, is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you've been ordered. 
to do. Don't collect any more than what Rome has told you to collect. In other words, don't collect more to keep it for yourselves. Some soldiers were questioning him saying, and what about us? These are Roman soldiers. What shall we do? And he said to them, do not uh, take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. In other words, when you put this together, you see that John stressed the fact that, that the fruit of repentance, the fruit that is produced in a genuinely repentant individual is behavior that cares for other people. It's not self-promoting. It puts their interests ahead of your own. One of the evidences of being a true Christian is that you stop using people. You don't exploit them. They're not out there to benefit you. You don't look at people at how they can, can help you, but how can you help them? And that's in essence what John was saying. Now, this is the spirit of humility and gentleness that shows up in genuine shepherds, genuine Christian leaders. And this is the fruit that, that you and I are looked for in a man of God's life. Because a true shepherd who represents Christ, the great and good shepherd, loves the sheep sacrifices for the sheep. This is why Peter, in exhorting the elders who were shepherds in 1 Peter chapter 5, tells them, shepherd the flock of God, he says, who are among you, exercising oversight, not, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. That is, do it because God has put it in your heart to do. It's not a chore. It's not a burden. He said, and, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Don't do it for money. Don't do it for what you can get. He said, nor, let, uh, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. Don't be dictators. But he says, proving to be examples to the flock. That's the way a, a true shepherd is to be. He's willing to lay down his life, his time, his energy, even his resources to help the sheep. But on the other hand, if regenerated people produce the fruit of humility in their lives, then it only makes sense that unregenerate people produce the fruit of pride. And, and what is pride? What are we talking about when we refer to pride? In its essence, pride is that wicked attitude of heart that contends with God for supremacy. Do you get that? That's what pride is. When you strip it all away, and it's at the root of every sin, it is that wicked attitude of heart that contends with God for supremacy. Nobody will be supreme over me. I rule. My way is the only way. No one else, not even God. It is precisely, it was precisely Satan's attitude when the Bible said he fell, I will be like the most high God, he said. He wasn't content with being the most exalted angel. He said, I will be like the most high God. C.J. Mahaney wrote this in explaining what's at the core of pride. He said, pride is an attitude of self-sufficiency and independence toward God and of self-righteousness and superiority toward others. See, it's not just about my view towards God. It's I think I'm superior to other people. It robs God of the honor and glory due him, he writes. It takes many forms, but has only one goal, self-glorification. No wonder the Bible says that God opposes the proud. He does. God hates pride, the Bible says. This self Glorification is glaringly evident in false teachers whose scripture characterizes a false teacher as being a self-promoter who exploits other people for his own benefit. Let me show you this. Second Peter chapter 2. If you have not been here for our series on Second Peter, this is actually the second time around, then I would encourage you to get the tapes or the CDs on this. 
But 2 Peter chapter 2, just a, a few highlights of what God says about false teachers as Peter exposes them. He rips the mask off them and says, this is what they're really like. 2 Peter 2, for example, verse 2, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In these two verses, he tells us that they are, they are loose in their morality. They are sensual. He tells us that they are greedy. They'll exploit you with false words. And then jump down to verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. That's all they're thinking about. Their own sexual pleasures, enticing, unstable souls, having a heart, notice this, trained in greed. They're not just greedy, but they train themselves like an athlete goes to the gym to prepare for competition. An athlete disciplines himself for an upcoming event. They discipline themselves by, by training themselves in greed. And, and Peter adds, they are accursed children, cursed by God. So the entire orientation of a false prophet revolves around one thing and one thing only, himself, and getting what he wants. His life is about money. It's about recognition. It's about prestige. It's about popularity, it's about power, and it's often about illicit sexual activity. Listen, in context, these are the Pharisees. These were those men who Jesus denounced. They were all about titles for themselves. They were all about, about sitting in the honored seats in the synagogue. If they lived in our day and age, they would correct you if you didn't refer to them as doctor, reverend, most reverend, all of that. These are those men who want to be popular and power is everything. These are those men who when they pass you, they want you to be impressed with them when, they, when you see them on the street. False teacher doesn't seek your best interests, nor does he seek to honor Jesus at all. It's all about himself. He seeks to promote and advance his own interests. Listen, beware of speakers who talk way too much about money and way too much about themselves Men and women who want to brag about their so-called miraculous exploits or their extravagant style of living. They don't care about you. They don't care about you at all. It's all about them. All about them. They care only about themselves. And yet they'll tell you about all the miracles they were involved in. And quite often, maybe always, those miracle claims are complete fabrications. Cult leaders in particular go to great lengths to trick people into believing they have miraculous powers in order to control and mislead them. But as we will see on the next verse by verse, Jesus and other good teachers seek only to bring glory to God. Our time is running short. Before we say so long for today, I want to let you know how much we have appreciated your presence in class today. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher each weekday as we travel through the Bible. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel, where he has been serving since 1981. These broadcasts are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of our listeners. Here is Pastor Steve to tell you how you can be a part of this ministry. 
I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support verse by verse with their prayers and financial gifts. Two things come to my mind. One was a lady who wrote a letter to us and said, you make the Word of God sound easy. I mean, that was, she was saying, you, you make it understandable. And I actually hung that letter up in my office. You make the Word of God easy to understand. And that's really what we want to do. If you've been blessed through verse by verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727 727- 441-1714 or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. If you missed those numbers, you can find them on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click the Support Us link near the top of the page. That's versebyverseradio.org. Often when a popular but false teacher is found out, his disillusioned followers will shake their heads and sadly say, but he seemed so sincere. Is sincerity a valid gauge for evaluating a teacher's truthfulness? Obviously not, but it's such a handy yardstick that we often find ourselves using it anyway. Pastor Steve will have more to tell us about that on the next Verse by Verse. I'm Peter Silsa. I hope to see you then. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. We are here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.